Yeah, amen. Thank you, Lord. Hey, I wanted to tell you, uh, this is a great testimony. I got to go to Operation Christmas Child this week and speak down there. And I'm going to tell you, that place is a miracle. I'm telling you that right now. It is an awesome, awesome miracle that's happening down there. I think they probably, did y'all finish up? Did you make the two million? They did two million boxes, uh, Christmas boxes, just out of Charlotte. Isn't that awesome? But they, they have like a thousand people working in there. They got people from all over the country that they bus in there that work, volunteers that work in there. It was just a, just a wonderful, uh, you know, if you could go next year and work, uh, it would, you know, if you can volunteer your time or you could apply. They do have a few employees there that work too, but it's just an awesome thing. One of the things that they really, uh, they, they shared is, you know, when we do the shoe boxes, if you've ever done the shoe boxes, you can still do a shoe box online. Okay, you can go online and for like for 30 bucks or something like that and do a shoebox, you know, just fill in, they got a thing you fill in, and, and they will actually track that shoebox for you. And you can find out where the shoebox actually goes, you know, so uh, without just doing a physical one. But they take every one of those shoeboxes that people do, and they take them, and they, when they get them, they open them up and take everything out and repackage them because, you know, some people slip stuff in there they shouldn't slip in there, like, for instance, money. And they said that uh, that kids had been actually murdered over money that that was found in those boxes, because they go into places that people are crazy. I mean, just people are just crazy and would kill even even just coins like not real coins that were in there. So that's that's one of the things that I met this guy from Ethiopia there who was, hmm? yeah, what was his name? Mastiff. Well, here's his story. My two minutes of his story. He. Somehow he was touched by this ministry, Operation Christian. He was an orphan, and he some and because the he got a box somehow he got connected to this ministry. He winds up in the United States now. He's here, uh, and he's like a you know a grown man now. And he went back to Ethiopia and found a little orphan boy in the same spot that he occupied. Okay, that got one of the boxes, and now he's brought that little boy over here. Isn't that awesome? And his life's just being changed. It's just, a, I mean, there is miracle after miracle happening in that place. I was so encouraged. But here's the thing I wanted to tell you, okay? They invited me down there to speak at the chapel. And honestly, I'll be honest with you, I was very humbled. I mean, I thought, you know what? I'm being ministered to. They, you know, somebody said, do a devotion. I think, y'all are the devoted ones, not me. I mean, this is, what I'm doing is nothing, what, you know, for what was going down there. It was so powerful. But this is the thing. This is what they actually told me. Now, the chapel is just a, a, some curtains in a big industrial building. You know, everything's open, and they have a little curtains. That's how the rooms are. So they said, Byron, you have to, to talk really loud, okay? And you've got to eat the microphone, and you've got to talk loud, and you've got to go real fast because you only got so much time. I was just really amazed at that opportunity to go somewhere where they actually like for you to talk loud. They like for you to talk, talk fast. Because I was telling them, you know, heck, most of the time people were telling me in the church that you're too, you're obnoxious, you're too wild, you're offending people. But there they wanted, actually wanted you to do it. Isn't that awesome? So they really sort of messed me up. You know, I mean, honestly, because I, I was talking as loud as I could in there. I mean, because it's so noisy. But it was just a great experience. I really wanted to share that. And I won't try to talk too loud this morning. Amen? But I'm going to talk fast. <laughs> okay, let's do this. Ephesians 1, 17 through 18. Okay, now, I'm going to read this. I'm going to open my Bible because I'm trying to be 
I'm going to try to stick with this and do this, okay? Can you help me do it? All righty. This is, remember last week I talked about this prayer, this very powerful prayer. It's uh, verse 17, Ephesians 1. The God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him, in the knowing of Him, and the acknowledge, which means the recognition of Him, being able to recognize the Lord. This is a powerful prayer. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened. The eyes of your understanding. So I want to talk to you more about the eyes of your understanding, because this is such a critical key thing in the believer's life. Uh, how many people in here, how many are looking for that, that one-step program, what we call the one, we haven't talked about the one-step program in a long time in the church, have we? Y'all know what the 12-step program is, right? We really honor the 12-step program. We love the 12-step program, which is, you know, Alcoholics Anonymous, different groups helping people getting free of bondages. That's wonderful, but Jesus had a one-step program. And this is what it was. There was a man in Mark 5 who had so many demons, it was unreal. And he was instantly delivered, saved, delivered, and healed, and commissioned by the Lord. All in one fell sweep. And we believe that's the goal. Okay, we're not there. We admit it. But if we can get to 11 steps, 10 steps, 9, we we're going we're to rejoice over that, Right? Because we are coming to the end of the times, and there are going to be people who are going to come into the kingdom. There's not enough time to take them through 12 steps. They don't have years like it took. They don't have 56 years. I haven't been a Christian. I'm 30-something years. Okay? I've had 30-something years. It's took a long time for God to deal with me. There's not going to be enough time for everybody to spend 30-something years. So God is going to increase the anointing. He's going to increase the power and people are going to get saved, they're going to get healed, they're going to get delivered, and they're going to get commissioned into the work of the Lord in much shorter periods of time. I, I'm fully believing in that. Fully believing in that. And so that's what God's calling us to. And this is a key for you and I, for every believer in our spiritual life, is these eyes of our heart, the eyes of our understanding, this spirit of wisdom and revelation coming upon our hearts and doing something upon our hearts that will really change our lives. So I want to share a little bit on that. And I'm going to read, and uh, I'm skipping over some verses here that are really powerful about the body of Christ, but we'll talk about those maybe some other time. But I want to read verse 2. Uh, I mean, chapter 2, verse 1 through 3. I'm going to read this, and then I'm going to go back and, and make a few comments and try to get you, get you somewhere to see this. And it says, And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of, of the air, the spirit who now uh, works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the, the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and there's where the mind is, we'll get down to that, and were by nature children of wrath just as the others. So in verse 1 it says, In you he made alive. All right, so I've told you this before. I'm going to tell you again just because I think people sometimes don't hear stuff. When you read your Bible, okay, the New Testament, you're going to run across italics words. Like right here, in you he made alive. He made alive is not, is, they're italics. They're not in the original language. Sometimes those italics are references, Old Testament references. The italics, Old Testament. Sometimes they're words that are added into the to the English to make it more understandable. And most of the time, I will say this: most of the time in the Bible, they're good. They work. 
There's a few instances where it doesn't work, where it changes the meaning of what the Greek really is. And this is one of those instances. Okay, this is one of those instances where you really should take your pencil and mark through He Made Alive. Okay, because it really changes the meaning of the, of the verse. It changes what Paul's really trying to communicate. It just changes it. So, and if you could ask any, uh, I'm no uh, language expert, you could ask any Greek expert that really understood the, the Scripture, he, they would tell you this. This is, this, is a, this is one of those. There's one in Rome, I think Romans 6 uh, is a classic one. There's some actually in the Old Testament also, but that's another story. So we're going to read this. And you who were dead in trespasses and sin. And you, that's really how it should read. And you who were dead in trespasses and sin. Now it's interesting that word dead there. Okay, in the New Testament, there's two words for dead. One of them means spiritually dead. And you were spiritually dead. We would think that was the word that Paul would use there. Right? Because when we were, before we were saved, we were spiritually dead. Right? But it's interesting, he doesn't use that word spiritually dead there. He uses the other word for dead, which means dead like a corpse, like a literal dead person. That's what he uses there. And what he's trying to do, it's because he's trying to convey something to us. He's trying to convey that we were dead. In other words, we were locked into something that we couldn't do nothing about. Because a corpse, a dead person, you know, you could take the strongest person in this room, the biggest, strongest, meanest man in this room, and the moment he dies, the littlest baby in this room could kick him from here to yonder could beat him up you could take Albert Einstein the moment he died he couldn't add one plus one a dead person is totally totally helpless and that's what Paul was really trying to get through here is that we were locked into a life we were locked into sins and we were locked into trespasses and that will help you if you really get the revelation on that dealing with lost people because a lot of Christians have a hard time with lost people the way lost people are instead of realizing they're just doing what they're supposed to do. They're acting the way they're supposed to act. They're talking the way they're supposed to talk. They're just being lost because they're locked into something like we were. We were locked into death. We were locked into sins and trespasses, and there was nothing we could do about it. There was nothing we ourselves could do. We were just as helpless as a dead corpse. Isn't that powerful there? Uh, to me, that is like, wow, that is incredible. And then he says, in, wh- in which you once walked according to the course of this world. Walked according to the course of this world. This is interesting, okay? According to, all right, this is, I'm giving you means of words that will help you, okay? According to, this is what it means. Something that is dominating, manipulating, and controlling. That's what according to. Something that is dominating, manipulating, and controlling. So we were walking in something that was dominating us, manipulating us, and controlling us. That's what Paul's trying to get us to see right here. And it was the, and so that's what according to. And then the course of the world, this is interesting. This is crazy interesting. It is something that has order and arrangement. So we were something that has order and arrangement was dominating and manipulating and controlling us. And that's something, in, in this instance, was the world, okay? And the world, uh, it means society. It, let me just read this thing here. I've got this, i put all this together. According to the course of this world, it means being dominated, manipulated, and controlled by the philosophy of our own generation. Uh, the whims of the times. D- dominated by entertainment, by the educational system of the times, the government of the times, the media of the times, the beliefs and temporal and short-sighted attitudes of the present generation and culture. 
That's what that means right there. I'm going to give you an example. It may offend some people in this room. Probably will. It's about tattoos. I'm not, first of all, let me say, I'm not against tattoos. In fact, I've told many people, if it weren't for my dear wife, I would be covered in tattoos. Okay? But she had, I had Saturday night flesh, okay, as, a, as an unbeliever, and she had Sunday morning flesh. Okay? Now, that's the truth. That's what, you know, there's two kinds of flesh. There's Saturday night flesh. There's these, these vile people like I was, and I was a vile one. But she was, there's these Sunday morning flesh. They're really nice. It's still the flesh. So she sort of kind of kept me under control about doing stuff that was really bad. Because I'd have done it. Not that tattoos were bad. That was just sort of my whole attitude with life. But when I was a teenager, we were the hippies. We had long hair. We had patched up jeans and tie-dyed uh, T-shirts. And we felt, the majority of us, except maybe people like Lappin, because I've noticed he's got a tattoo on his arm, we would laugh at these older guys who would walk into the bars and stuff we were hanging around with that had their anchors on their arms and their little marine bulldog on their arm and their little fly girl on their arms. We thought, what is it? These guys are jokes with these tattoos. Can you believe that? We were the cool people. We didn't believe in tattoos. We were the cool hippies. That was a whim of our generation. And now we have a whole generation of people that love tattoos. It's the coolest thing in the world. But if they had been born when I was born, it wouldn't have been cool to have all them tattoos. You would have been making fun. So you see, I'm just giving you a little example of what Paul was saying, but it's much more devious, you know, of what we're being controlled by, what we're being manipulated by, what, what is happening to us. But that's not all. Are y'all following that? Nobody's got tattoos. Don't be offended if you are talking to Lappin. Because he has them. And he's from my generation, and he was a hippie at one time, a really wild one. But somehow or another, he got hooked up with some of these old guys, and they convinced him to do stuff he shouldn't have done at the time. Right? Now, so that's according to the course of this world, but then there's something else. There's even something more devious that Paul wants us to know. According to the prince of the power of the air. The world, the, the whims of the world, all these things I just said that that's dominating, manipulating, controlling us, there's even something more sinister and more evil behind that that's controlling that. Everybody, every Christian in here, I'm going to tell you this right now, every one of us do not have personal demons. There's not enough demons to go around for every believer. But see how the enemy does, he controls society, he controls mankind through the world, through, the, through these philosophies, through the media, through television, through entertainment. I'm not saying any of those are bad. I'm just saying that's how he operates. That's what Paul was saying. So according to the course of this world and according to the prince of the power of the air. Now, this is interesting. I'm telling you stuff you already know, hopefully. The prince of the power of the air. He's telling us something about the devil. Number one, he's telling us he's a prince. That means he's a ruler over a domain. He's a ruler over a kingdom. Okay, the devil has a very structured and ordered kingdom. It tells us in Ephesians 6 that there's powers, principalities, and all these other things in heavenly places. In other words, there's an army of demons out there, and it's very organized, it's very structured. There's a leader called Satan. He's over it, and he leads that crowd of bad beings to, to uh, go after us and try to control us, manipulate us, and mess our lives up. That's what he, what he does. So he's a prince... And not only is he a prince, Jesus called him the ruler of this world. That's what Jesus called him. The ruler of this world is coming. Jesus never argued that he wasn't a ruler, but he also has power. Now, don't fool yourself. The devil has power. In his kingdom, he's the top guy. He has power, and he's able to use his power against people who are operating in his kingdom. Jesus never argued with his power when he says, I got the power to give you all this stuff of the world. Jesus didn't argue with him. He just said, I don't want it like that. 
You know, so he does have power, okay? And he also says it's located, this power is located where? In the air. Again, in the New Testament, there's two words for air. There's one air, which is the environment we live in, which is this word, and there's another air, which is air that's really, really pure, and it's way up on the top of a mountain, it's clean air. That's not the air. He's talking about the air we live in, the environment we live in, it's the world. So that's where the, the devil has authority, the devil has power in the world. Are y'all following that? And the other thing he says is, is the Spirit. He says, the Spirit which you now works in the sons of disobedience. is spiritual. So you've got to remember, I don't know who you are this morning, everybody in this room, but you've got to know there's a real devil with real power, with a real kingdom, and it's in the spiritual world, and it's working through the natural world to manipulate you, to control you, and to not dominate you. And that's why we have to recognize that. We have to recognize that there's things in the world where the enemy is able to get to Christians, okay, and mess Christians up. And that's one of the things that Paul was trying to get us to see. This is the way we were. And, but he doesn't stop there. Thank God. Among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh. All right. Fulfilling desires of the flesh and of the mind. So there's two things there. The flesh and the mind. Okay. The Bible's real clear on the flesh, right? Yes. What does it say? Mortify the deeds of the flesh. In other words, you put the death, the deeds of the flesh through the Holy Spirit... That's how you deal with your flesh. But the mind is another subject. If you study the mind in the New Testament, it never tells you to mortify your mind. It never tells you to put the deeds of your mind. Right? So that's where the twist comes in. It comes in with your mind. The Bible's clear. You got, this is how you deal with your fleshly stuff. Anybody got fleshly desires? Well, it tells you what to do. You've got to mortify them by the Spirit. You've got to put them to death by, by allowing the Holy Spirit to come and do that. And he, will, and he will do that in you. But with your mind, it's a whole other story. The Bible tells us we've got to have a renewed mind. And that's how our lives are transformed is through our minds. Is everybody good? I feel like I'm out of breath, man. Okay? <laughs> so this, this mind here, now here's the point. This mind he's talking about is the same mind that I just read to you where Paul says the eyes of your what? Understanding. It's the same mind. It's your understanding. Now, you get that. Paul, see, that's why Paul prayed this prayer. He prayed this prayer, and he said, let's pray that the spirit of wisdom and revelation will come upon our understanding, our heart mind, because we're going to need it to recognize the spiritual world and to recognize what's Jesus and what's not Jesus. Because here's the thing about the devil. Not, I didn't mention this when I was... Because Paul didn't say it, but it's inherited. The devil is very clever. The devil is no fool. He's very smart the way he operates. In other words, the devil doesn't come to you all the time. He comes like a Trojan horse. Do you all know what a Trojan horse is? You remember that story in the old days? Well... Everybody knows about computers. They have viruses called Trojan, Trojan horse viruses. Do they call them Trojan horse or just Trojan viruses? But you know what it is. A Trojan horse was, just in case you didn't know, there was this war between these two countries, and they just fought and fought and fought. So one of them just acts like he's giving up and quitting. He's going to leave the other one a gift, this big old huge horse. And so he leaves them this gift, and they pull this big, huge horse into, their, into the walls of their, na- or their, their city, close the walls behind it. Oh, we're all happy. Have a big party. Everything's wonderful. Everybody goes to bed drunk and high and messed up. And, and, but it, while they're passed out cold, open the door, and all these soldiers pile out of this Trojan horse and kill everybody. And that's how the devil does. See, the devil comes like a Trojan horse. He doesn't come to he, How did he come to Jesus? He came to Jesus with what? The Bible. He came to Jesus with Scriptures. 
Okay? Have you ever heard, have you ever had a person to come to you with Scriptures? It's like the devil's really, this is what he does. I'll tell you this is how he operates. Or this is how he operates in my life a lot. He listens into my conversations. He listens into my conversations. He finds out this is what he's thinking about. This is what he's talking about. These are the words God's given him. So he sends somebody, okay, and the person gives you a scripture. And you think, oh my gosh, that must be God because that's what God's been talking to me about, this very scripture. Then this person gives you a word that matches up with that scripture. Oh, wonderful, this is God. No, it's not God. It's the enemy who's come. Now, how do you know what's the enemy, what's not, and what's Jesus? That's the key. That's what the spirit of wisdom and revelation is, and the knowledge of Him, and the recognition, the acknowledge of Him. Is we have to be like the tellers at the banks. Is the tellers at the bank? This is how they recognize counterfeit money. They handle the money. They know what the real thing feels like. And so when the fake comes, they stop. Wait a minute. This is a fake one. They feel it. And you see, in our Christian lives, in our spiritual lives, we have to come to a point where we are so in tune with, we've got the spirit of wisdom and revelation working life, we can recognize what's Jesus and what's not Jesus. Do you, do you see that? That's why this is so critical for you. Because if you don't, if you don't have this, your mind is darkened. And if your mind, I'm talking about the mind, I'm talking about your dianoia, that's what that word means there. And, and, and I told you last week, and I'll show you in a minute, that's the part of us that I believe, I have no way of proving this, of your soul that's closest to your spirit. But if that's dark, it's like the passageway. It's the transition point between the spirit of man and the soul of man. And if that's darkened, you can't recognize Jesus. You won't know it. So anybody can come and give you a word. Anybody can come and speak into your life, and you can believe it's the Lord because, oh, well, that must be God. It's the wonderful Scripture. But it doesn't mean it is. And if, but if you have this spirit of wisdom and revelation operating on you, you'll feel it. You'll sense it. You'll be like that. Tell wait a minute, that don't feel right. That sounds right. That's beautiful. That's a beautiful word. I had it happen to me this week. I had somebody give me this word. I thought, oh, I thought that word. That's oh, I love that scripture. God's talking to me about that scripture, and then they gave me a word. Like oh, and did, but I was thinking, but none of this feels right. None of this feels like Jesus. This ain't right. And I thought. You know what I'm going? I'm bailing out of here. I'm getting out of this. I'm not listening to this. I'm cutting this off. I'm, I'm, I'm throwing the gates down. I'm out of here, you know. I'm gracefully moving on because I'm not going to receive something because here's the truth. Every word, every thought from Satan, there's a family that comes with it, a whole family. They're going to move into your life, and they'll move into your mind. You have a fam- You know, every thought comes with a family of thoughts, and they'll just move into your family and move in, and they build a stronghold in your life. And then you're going to be in big trouble. But if you've got the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Now, if you're a young Christian, you, see, I, I'm not into this thing that, you know, more faith in the devil's ability to deceive me than Jesus' ability to follow me. I'm not saying that. I'm saying i got faith in Jesus. I'm feeling this thing. I'm sensing this thing. But, it, but if you're a young Christian, there's a lot of grace and mercy for you. God will protect us in our immaturity and ignorance many times, but He wants us to grow up. He wants us to get free. and He wants us to cut those, a bunch of those steps out. You see what I'm saying? He wants us to do that. So uh, let me just move on here and let's look at Ephesians 4, 17. This is a, the, the next time this word appears. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, Ephesians 4, 17, that you should no longer walk... Now, 
he's talking about living your Christian life. He's talking about operating your Christian life. As the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind. Now, he's saying, listen, Christians. You know, he's saying, people, listen, you can't act like those people in the world. You can't live your life... You know, according to this world, according to the thing that the, the whims of the world, and because it's being controlled by Satan. That's what he's saying. You, get, you can't walk like that no more. And the word mind here is your entire mind. It's your intellect. It's your reasoning. It's your logic. That's what it is. It's the whole thing. He said, because your mind will be, you know, that's a futile way of thinking. And this is what he says. This is really interesting. It's really cool. The mind being futile, the mind being without purpose. Okay, having their understanding darkened. That's a way a person's mind, okay, becomes futile. Because they're dying, that's understanding, dianoia. Are y'all following this? That's the part that's darkened. If that part in us is darkened, the rest of us is going to be darkened. Are y'all following that? This is really critical. I'm telling you, this is a change of life. If that part of you is darkened, if you're dianoia, your understanding if it's dark and if the spirit of wisdom and revelation is not working on that, bringing light, bringing revelation into your heart, opening that up, then guess what's going to happen? The rest of you are thinking. I don't care how smart you are. I don't care that. It is going to become futile. That's what it says. It says it right there. Okay, it's right here. It's clear. Okay, uh, and because it alienates you from the life of God. That's what it does. It separates you. In other words, what I said, you're blind. You're in a dark place. You can't see into the Spirit. You can't feel what God's saying. You are guessing at things, okay? People can give you words all day, and it can be the devil talking through people. Now, listen, I want to make this really clear. A lot of times, people, it's not like people are coming on purpose trying to mess with you. You see what I'm saying? If it was, we could just say, forget doing prophetic ministry. We, don't, we really believe in prophetic ministry, okay? But we believe in getting people trained up to do it so they can do it in a great way where they're not. Paul talks about in Second Thessalonians 2 that he didn't come with the Word of God in devious ways, underhanded ways, for, in all these different ways. You see, there's ways, of the manipulative ways. You know, you've got to feel that. You've got to be able to recognize that somebody's bringing you a word to manipulate you that is from the evil one. Okay? And you have to be able to really recognize that. And the way you're able to recognize it, because you recognize Jesus so much. Because he never tries to manipulate you. He never tries to control you. He never tries to dominate any person. Okay? But if you get a word that you feel out of that, you've got to know that's not from the Lord. But the only way you're going to know it, you've got to get the eyes of your understanding open. You've got to. It's a must. It's not, a, it's not you, know, you know, one of those... Deals. Okay, anyways. Having their understanding darkened, being alienated from life because of the ignorance that's in them. See, that creates, that darkness leads us to this scripture where it says, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Okay, that's what he's talking about there. He's not talking about intelligence. He's talking about lack of knowledge. People are being destroyed. Lives are being destroyed. Christians are being destroyed because of this darkness that's in them. Um, because of the blindness of the heart. See, there he goes, right there. Blind, because of the blindness of the heart. Who being past feeling. Everybody say past feeling. Now, this is where I want to get you. You know what that word means right there? It means apathetic. Apathetic. You know what apathetic means? It means showing no interest, no concern, no feelings, no enthusiasm. Being apathetic towards the things of God. Has you ever, have you ever experienced that? Being apathetic. You have no interest in it. You have no concern. You have no enthusiasm. It doesn't draw you. You see there's this progression. This downward progression is what he's given us. 
Okay, it's really powerful. Having, and then it says, once you're at that point, the next point, if you stay in that point long enough, if you stay in that apathetic state, you are going to be, do these things, having given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanliness with greediness. In other words, you are going to head into sin. You're going to head into a life. He's talking about a lifestyle of sin. Do y'all follow that? So let me just back, back it up. I like to go backwards. Life, say you're in a lifestyle of sin this morning. You're struggling in sin. You're stuck in sin. You have a lifestyle of sin, really, going on in your life. You're not really living a pure life. You're not really living a whole life. There's a lot of people who go to church that do that, and I'll tell you that. But just say you were, okay? Here's what happened to you. Somewhere along the line, as a believer, you became apathetic. Somewhere you lost enthusiasm for God. Somewhere you lost concern for the things of God. Somewhere all of that did not went down the list of things, priorities in your life. Okay? And why did that happen? Okay, why did you become apathetic? Because your heart was blind. Your heart was blind. Some, I'm telling you, okay, let's just stop right now. Here's what I'm feeling. I'm feeling some people that are apathetic in here. No kidding. I'm feeling it pretty strong right now. That you have found yourself in an apathetic state to spiritual things. And I feel like the Lord's saying, He's trying to tell you, this is, He's saying, I'm trying to tell you something, I'm trying to help you. So if you're one of those people, the Lord's wanting to help you, okay? Ooh, mercy Lord, help us. <laughs> I've been apathetic in my Christian life, okay? All right, so... Apathetic is because of blindness, because your dianoia is darkened. Okay? That's why you become apathetic, because you're not allowing the spirit of wisdom and revelation to do its work in your heart. Do y'all see that? And God wants to set us free. Right, I'll give you one more scripture. Okay? Are you, is this exciting or what? I'm excited about this because these are keys. These are keys to a spiritual life. These are keys to walking in the spirit. These are keys to connecting with the spiritual realm and living out of heaven. This is really, this is the way it is. Because once, see, there's this other part of the seeing in the invisible. It's the visionary, angelic realm, you know, all the third heaven that Matthew was sharing about earlier this morning. All right, this is a scripture that used to bother me to no end. Revelations 3.18. Revelations 3.18. The church of Laodicea, the lukewarm church, that Jesus was not satisfied with at all, not satisfied. Have you, and you know, we don't really like being around lukewarm Christians, right? Nobody really likes it. Nobody wants to be around, nobody wants to be around some Christian who's just dead and has no life in We want to be around Christians who got fire on them, right? I do. I'm looking for people who got fire. Come on. Fire. Give them fire. Come in here and challenge me. Come in here and stretch me. You know, push me. You know, if you're a... That's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for people who's going to push on me. Like, well, you may be the pastor, buddy, but I'm going to catch you. I'm going to outrun you. You're going to have to follow me. That's the kind of people God's looking for. You know, that'll run you down and run past you. <laughs> you know? Isn't that great? Because... Uh, every, now, now, I want to say this. This is a, a little separate word, but it's the same word. It's discipleship, okay? Every Christian should be doing two things. Number one, they should be being a disciple. In other words, somebody needs to be discipling you. And it needs to be somebody more spiritual than you, by the way. Okay? I mean, don't let somebody disciple you that's not even half-fallen the Lord. Because what, they're going to lead you down to half-fallen the Lord. I've got people discipling me. I've got people that are more spiritual than me, a lot more spiritual than me, way more spiritual than me, speaking in my life. I heard, uh, uh, what's the guy, Andre Agassi? Was it Andre Agassi? This is what he said about tennis. He said, you never go out. I never go out and play tennis with somebody I can beat. 
I always play with people that are better than me. You see what I'm saying? So we are, that's discipleship. They're going to stretch you. They're going to challenge you. They're going to tell you things about yourself that you may not want to hear, but they're going to push on you and push on you and cause you to stretch out there. But also, every person needs to be discipling somebody. You need to find somebody who needs that, who wants that, and just hang around with them. Because a lot of discipleship is just hanging around with people and being with them. And in the process, just say stuff, do stuff. And, I mean, that's really it. I mean, honestly... I'll be honest with you. I was never discipled by a pastor in a church. Like my pastor in my church is discipling me. Never. It was my friends. It was people I chose to say, I'm going to find me some spiritual friends. And they are going to put me to test. They are going to pull on me. They're going to stretch on me. And then I'm going to find me some other friends that ain't so spiritual. And I'm going to pull on them and stretch on them. And so if you'll do that, this is one thing that will happen to you, is you will grow spiritually really fast and a lot of these issues and problems and self-focus and all that mess that Christians are into, a lot of that stuff just sort, of, just sort of goes away. I'm telling you, it works. And that's really, you know, it's sort of obeying the thing called the Great Commission, right? That's sort of like sort of basic Bible, make disciples, you know, sort of something we need to be doing with our life. Okay. That's what I was getting off this Revelations 3 thing this morning when I was thinking about it. But I've been thinking about that a lot. But here's the thing. It tells us three things to do in Re- Revelations 3. Three things. And for, for years I understood two of them, but the third one was what I couldn't get. And it says this in verse 18. This is after he talks about those guys. Uh, um, no, actually it ain't verse 18. What, what verse is it, man? Oh, this is Ephesians. No wonder it doesn't say that. Sorry. It was say, I was saying, I've never read that in there in Revelations, you know, that you may be able to... I was reading the next prayer, like, you may be able to comprehend. I'm thinking, what? Who changed the Bible? Okay. This is what Jesus says. I can't ask you to buy from me gold refined in the fire. That's the first thing. Now, here's what gold is. And we need to know on this. Gold is genuine faith. That's First Peter, what? First Peter 1, 7. Genuine faith. Becky talked about genuine faith a while back. A few weeks ago, this is what she said. We need that faith that's coming out of our belly. That's real faith. It ain't this faith we're trying to pull and bring up and build up. and do. It's faith we're pulling on. It's the faith of God in us. And that faith gets tested because that faith has to come up into our soul. And a real faith that comes forth is going to really do some things, right? And so a lot of people have been going through testing. I want to encourage you. It's about your faith. God's wanting you to tap into this genuine faith. That's genuine, real faith. And Jesus said, you've got to get this kind of faith. That was the first thing he said to people who were apathetic. Okay, get this kind of faith. The next one is the white garments, right? And that's pretty easy. Duh. Revelations 19.8. You know, it's like the righteous acts of the saints. In other words, you need to be doing something with your life. Righteous acts. Clothe yourself with righteous acts. Do, you know, do righteous things. Do the work that God's called. Do whatever it is. You know, I can't define it. But that's another thing that we need to be doing. But then the ISAB thing, that was the one that stumbled me for years. What the heck is he talking about ISAB? I couldn't find it nowhere else in the Bible. I researched it. I found out they had ISAB back there, literally, in Laodicea that they were doing. I was saying, but that can't be right. It's, I mean, he's not talking about some visine you put in your eyes. You know, but I found out what it is. Y'all know what it is. It's the Spirit. I've told you 500 times. Don't you? It's the, I did. It's the, uh, okay. It's the Spirit. I told you all last week, right? That's what she said. It's the Spirit of wisdom and revelation. 
apply to our dianoia. That's what he's talking about. It's the spirit of wisdom and revelation. And you know how we get that spirit? We ask for it. Because Paul said, I'm praying that the Father, that the God of glory, the Father, the Father of glory, the God of the Lord Jesus Christ would give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. That the eyes of your understanding, the eyes of your heart would be open. And when they're open, all of a sudden, all this apathetic stuff, all this, oh, the spiritual life stuff is no good, all this stuff people do, suddenly you, things change because something on the inside of you is seeing something that you can't see on the outside. And that's really what the Lord wants. That's why this spirit of wisdom and revelation is so powerful and so impacting in your spiritual life because it can change everything for you. And the great thing about it, you don't have to do anything but ask for it. And then... You know, once you have it, respond to what it's telling you. Do what it tells you to do. Amen? Well, right, stand up. And we're going to pray. Pray for this. Now, here, you, what you need to do is ask the Lord often for this. Like, and please pray this over your children. Okay? And like Chuck said, pray it over your grandpa if you got a grandpa. Pray it over your grandma. Pray it over your mom and dad. Pray it over everybody you love. When you, when you see situations in your family's life that's going on. This is one of the great ways in the Bible. Uh, Father, give them the spirit of, the, of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you that they would know you. They would recognize you. They'd begin to see the truth of what's going on in their life. And, and it really does work. It really will change your life. So I want you to put your hands on your heart. And just, you know, and just, let's just ask the Father to do this. Right, so I'm going to pray, and you can pray to me. Father, Father, Father of glory. The God of the Lord Jesus Christ. I ask you to give to me in increasing measures the spirit of wisdom and revelation. First of all, to personally know you. And second, to be able to recognize you. I want to recognize what's you. What's the flesh? What's the world? And what's the devil? I want to know the difference. So I ask you to release that. Release it into my life today. Open the eyes of my dianoia. Flood them with light. Flood that light in there. Flood that light in there, Lord. Just release it, Lord. Release it, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. All right, now listen. I want to get back to these apathetic people in here. I'm serious. That was, that was painful. Woo. It was very painful. I felt that apathy. I've been there. I know what it feels like. If you're that person this morning, God wants to do something for you. He wants to break you out of that. He really does. He wants to break you out of that. He wants to help you. He's not, he's not angry with you. He's not rebuking you. He's, that's not, not in his vocabulary right now. His vocabulary is to love you and let you feel his love and know his love. And so you, what you do is you confess apathy. You would say, Lord, I confess it. I confess. I'm, I don't feel it no more. I'm not concerned. I don't, you know, I have no enthusiasm towards it. All that's gone in my life. I acknowledge that. See, that's how you do it. And I, and I renounce that. And I ask you to forgive me, Lord, and I'm asking you today, I'm asking you to do something different. I'm asking you to put a fire in me today. We sing about the fire in our soul. That's what we say. Ask Him for that fire. Lord, I want to burn for you. Get, put me around Christians that are burning. Lord, put me around them. You know, Jim Hill has some counsel one time for a person. Okay, this is a good counsel. This person was in a church. Okay, and the church was a cold church. Okay, they were a cold church. And the people felt like God sent them to the church. 
Okay, they really felt like it. But what was happening with the people that were sent to this church, they were becoming cold people. And so here's what Jim Hill's revelation was, or what counsel was. It was a good revelation. He says, if you're sitting on a block of ice and you're melting it, great. But if you're freezing, get your butt up! <laughs> and some of you have got friends and associates you're hanging around, and they are freezing your rear end off. You've got to get away from those people. But if you're hanging around with them, and you're seeing God do something in their life, you're melting the ice. Because God didn't cause you to freeze. He caused you to melt ice. He caused you to melt cold hearts. And that's really what God wants to do. And, that, and the only way we can melt those hearts is when that fire gets in our soul. All that apathy is gone. And we got this fire. And some people can't stand it. They can't stand to be around people like that. I used to hate to be around people like that because I felt so exposed. Okay, but I realized that's a good exposure, baby. Lord, bring the fire. So ask the Lord. If you're apathy, ask Him, Lord, forgive me. God, I renounce it. Hey, I'm renouncing. I've seen areas in my life where I feel like, Lord, I just sort of lost something there. I'm so sorry, Lord. Bring your fire back there, Lord. Just ask Him. Just all of us. Lord, we ask You to bring the fire. Bring the fire in this church. Lord, we're all apathy. There's none of us, Lord. There's not a man and woman in this room who's not suffering with this. There's, some of, there's something else. Lord, we're like, we're like the Lord of in a lot of ways. All of us are, Lord. We don't want to be so arrogant to think that we're not naked and blind, Lord, and lacking, Lord. We don't want to be those people. We want to say, Lord, we're naked. We're blind. Andy had the right song this morning. He said, God will make a way in the desert. God's looking for people who are broke down and messed up. He's looking for those because He says, I'll bring the fire to you. I'll do that for you. God's talking to us this morning. God's talking to us. He's giving us an opportunity. Yes, we may be going through a transition. Okay, we are going through a transition. Not maybe we're going, and it doesn't always feel comfortable. It doesn't feel like it used to feel. Okay, let's, but let's get real about it. Let's be real with God and find God in the moment. Find the grace in the moment. Find Him there. If He's not there, then He's nowhere. And I want to encourage you, don't let that, that transition cause you to become an apathetic person. Don't let it. Don't let it. Don't let it. Just let Jesus do what He wants to do. And He wants to love you into reconciliation. He wants to love you into repentance. He wants to love you out of apathy. That's what He wants to do. That's His heart. I'll tell you it is. I, I know because I've been there so many times. I've had it done to me so many times. I'm an expert on it. So, Father, we just thank You for that. Somebody please come out here and get me out of this. <laughs> One of you guys, come on. Lord, we just love You so much today. God, I... I just I feel that fire coming down right now, Lord. Just you're setting your fire inside of our souls right now. Lord, this is easy. We don't have to strive for this. We just receive it, Lord. Because this is what you're serving to us today, Father. And let's just do this in closing. Let's just just put put a shoulder hand on somebody's shoulder or you know, neighbor. Let's just let's just release a blessing on our neighbor right now. Just agree with me right now. Father, well, you don't have to repeat. Just agree. Lord, we just want an extra dose of Christmas cheer this week, Father. We pray over our families. All of our families, we just release life into our families. Lord, any, any spirits of suicide that are hovering around, Anywhere that in our communities, anywhere that we have influence, we just break the power of that thing. 
We speak freedom and life to the young people. We speak freedom and life to the old people. And we speak freedom and life to all the middle-aged people, God. Everybody. Just your life and Christmas cheer for everyone. And God bless us, everyone. In Jesus' name, amen. Woo!